What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Open Door Wrestling Podcast, your podcast gateway into the pro wrestling multiverse. I'm DJM. This is our fourth episode, and I am joined by my co-host and tag team partner in the wrestling podcast space, The Subtle Doctor. What is up, Physician of Nuance? Hello, friends. Hello, DJM. Listen if you can. Subscribe if I let you. I'm holding up four fingers. This is the fourth episode. I feel obligated to do so. I'm not going to woo. Symbol of excellence. I'm not going to woo. I'm going to spare you all that. But we have, you you asked what's up. We have a lot to get into. There is a lot of news. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's been a lot of good wrestling. There's been a lot of bad wrestling. And we are here to talk about it all. So I am rubbing my hands together, gleefully ready to, to dive in. Let's create some wrestling content and start off with the big news that we kind of talked about on our last episode where we did our stocks ups and downs, where we talked a little bit about the future of Ring of Honor. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But Doc, let's start like we do with every episode with our stock report for new listeners of the show. We do a stock up and a stock down where we talk about Things or people in pro wrestling that we think might be trending upward that you might want to buy in and invest in now or things that might be trending downward that might not have the best outlook. So, Doc, I'll let you start. Who is your stock up this episode? Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate the the gesture. Um, my stock up for this episode is... The Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson. I have toyed with making him a stock up on previous episodes, but I just couldn't deny him the spot now. I love watching this guy perform. Wherever he goes, he is great in GCW. He is great in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is great in Ring of Honor. And he is great, I'm sure, you know, in, in wherever else he happens to, to, you know, Black Label Pro, AAW, wherever. The man is incredibly intense, just loves doing what he's doing. You can tell uh, wrestling means a lot to him. And he's just been putting in some killer performances lately. I don't want to necessarily use all my bullets on on those performances now, because I'm going to get into one in particular later on in the show. But, but yeah, Dickinson is, is fantastic. And, you know, I think he might be my favorite American based unsigned talent that's out there. And I think he may not be unsigned for too much longer, or at least he shouldn't be because I think he'd be, a tremendous asset to just about any wrestling company. I truly think he could fit in anywhere because he's done the comedy before, you know, he's done the, uh, I'm the biggest man. So I'll wrestle a tiny girl and make it entertaining and silly. And he's done incredibly serious, uh, you know, stare down aura matches. He's done, uh, the mat based stuff, power moves, striking. He seems to have just about everything in the repertoire and he's a great talker a lot of charisma so buy in on chris dickinson 
in the last year or so, I think Chris Dickinson has shown that he has no flaws in his game. And you really got to love that about somebody when they just have absolutely no flaws in their game. And I feel like his future with New Japan Pro Wrestling is almost a certainty. It feels like he will be in New Japan proper in 2022 come hell or high water. Please. (laughs) I feel like it's an an inevitability, even with the pandemic. They're going to find a way to get him over there. I think they have to at this point. And I think that is a great, great pick on your part, Chris Dickinson. I remember seeing his work a few years ago in Beyond Wrestling and a few of the independents in Texas. And he really did stand out quite a bit. And he's really starting to come into his own and really make a name for himself. And I think New Japan proper will have a lot to do with him in the future. The G and G1 no longer stands for Goto. It stands for get the dirty daddy to Japan into this damn tournament (laughs) right away. I think that's a fair choice. I think that's fair. Uh, My stock up this episode is someone whose work I have enjoyed for a very, very long time. But he's always kind of been a little bit under the radar. He's what you might call an indie darling in his own way. But now, recently, uh, he's gotten more attention in the mainstream wrestling scene. And I'm really happy to see it. Uh, It also doesn't help that he, like me, is also a Detroit native. And uh, I love seeing anybody from Detroit, especially in the pro wrestling world, uh, doing really well. And that, Doc listeners is Excalibur play-by-play announcer for all wrestling. I think that it's really no secret that Excalibur is now the de facto lead voice of AEW. Yes. Jim Ross is there. Yes. Tony Schiavone is there. And originally when the young bucks, appealed to Tony Khan and AEW to sign Excalibur. The The story was is that both Jim Ross and Tony Khan were a little bit skeptical. But over time, he's really become his own voice and really become the focal point of all elite wrestling. And I think that Excalibur, even coming from his time being the lead announcer for Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, he's adapted a few of his own trademark announcing calls the same way that Jim Ross had, the same way Tony Schiavone had in in WCW. And I think Excalibur really has some of those of his own, like nobody kicks out of the Falcon Arrow. Uh, He does the deal (laughs) and so many more. And I think that was really cemented with the most recent episode, the the Halloween episode of AEW Dynamite with the much talked about uh, costumed eight man tag team match between the elite and the Dark Order, where the match culminated with Excalibur letting out one of the greatest wrestling calls in history saying, but then wait a second, who's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man? 
to an erupting crowd seeing the reveal. I'm not going to spoil that for the people who haven't watched Dynamite. It's it's fantastic. For me, that was right up there with Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan calling Hulk Hogan walking down to the ring at Bash at the Beach 96. It was right up there. It's right up there with mankind getting thrown off the cell as God is my witness. He is broken in half. <laughs> He's broken it in half. It is right up there yeah. with Joey Styles calling RVD's five-star frog splash and saying, nobody gets as high as Rob Van Dam. <laughs> I've never heard that, that before. call from Excalibur. <laughs> that call from Excalibur, along with the Okada Zoom, and you've got to give the people what they want when the best friends hug. All of these things for me are further cementing my long-held belief that Excalibur is a great wrestling play-by-play man, and he he will go down in history as one of the greats. Okay, before I talk about Excalibur, we we cannot let Bobby the Brain Heenan off the hook for his terrible call when Hulk Hogan was walking down to the ring at Bash 96. Oh, you didn't like that? Because... He said, but what side is he no. on? Yeah, because that's like a like a huge spoiler. No one in on God's green earth was thinking... He's the third man. But, He's going to turn. Bobby Heenan. Like every single person. But Bobby Heenan. Every person. You just, it it would have been so much more shocking if the idea wasn't even in your brain. But Bobby Heenan. Like if you're just like, has, hell yeah, Hulk Hogan's going to say Has us. always distrusted Hulk I know. That, that, I that know. Is something that's, that's carried over no matter forever. what. I know. And I couldn't have broken character then. <sighs> I guess you're right. I mean, that is you're 100% correct in terms of how Heenan has called Hogan over the years. But I just have always like been so, like, oh, I've been so annoyed when I go back and, and he's like, is he the third man? Like, no, Bobby, what are you doing? What are you doing? I understand what you're saying, though. But that's always this is always bothered. No, me. that's fair. That's uh, fair. Excalibur, though. Excalibur is uh, tremendous. I mean. I think if you well, first let me say, but the the commentary of AEW would fall apart without him. He is um, the straw that stirs the drink. He holds everything together. Now, is this because uh, that's his designated role? And if Jim Ross were given that role, he would be more of the like keep everybody on task. I don't know, maybe. But whatever the case, Excalibur is doing it and doing it very well. And it sure seems like everyone else <laughs> does their level best to get their own stuff in and get everyone off track and complain about the refs. And on. But Excalibur just really has it together. I mean, he has to name all the moves, give everyone the backstory, billboard everything, talk about AEW ticks, shop all the wrestling. And and also, like, you know, just be the metronome, really keeping everything taken over and moving forward. And if you go back and listen to early Dynamites, like his style, you, you'll see his, that he's evolved a little bit. I think he's learned 
a lot from Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone and incorporated that stuff into his game. Like, I think maybe he didn't like take kayfabe as seriously as he does now, like things like the pay window. You know what I mean? That like that stuff is like, okay, this is like a real thing. Like we have to take, you know, that kind of thing more seriously. I think he's adapted and done it really well. And I think he's just, he's the complete package. I think he's like, I, I, he gets a lot of crap from a lot of people in the wrestling media who are wrong, who are wrong about it. I mean, they're just Lanza's wrong. Cornette's wrong. People are just wrong about this. <laughs> I think he's great. He's um, tremendous. I love him. I I don't agree that he's just a sort of like gussied up Mike Tanay who knows all the moves and stuff. I think he's a great lead man. And I, ca- I care about like the stories and moves. So to me, like it's important and I'm glad it's spotlighted. So total agreement for me. All right. Awesome. Uh, now we move into the stock down. Doc. Oh, boy. I'm a little worried about how you're going to feel about my stock down, but uh, uh, you tell me yours first. Okay. David, my stock down is impact wrestling. Yeah. 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 I impact wrestling. Stock down. Not one I'm actually in love with either. Uh, I think we've said that privately. I'm, I'm not exactly hot or high on impact, but uh, y- y- you tell me what's what's got you down on impact. Well, for whatever reason, DJM, I have continued to watch this show over the past few years, and sometimes I don't know why, <laughs> you know, but sometimes sometimes it's pretty fun and good, and there are good things there. But Bound for Glory was this past weekend. If you're listening to this, it will have been the weekend before this past weekend. Um, but Bound for Glory was... It, it was not just a bad show. You could have a bad show. Bound for Glory just signaled this direction for all of the stories and impact that just left such a sour taste in my mouth, really questionable booking decisions, relying on some tropes from the last couple decades that I think are incredibly tired. And I mean, I just don't get it. I like, it's, okay, here's a way to sum this up. Let's take a look at three of their titles that have uh, changed hands. Okay. A bound for glory. The knockouts tag team championships held by decay who, you know, I'm not in love with decay. Rosemary and havoc are, you know, whatever. I do love me some Rosemary. I will say that. Ro- yeah. Ro- I, I also, I'm, I'm good with Rosemary. She's okay with me, but you know, who's worse than meh. Je- they're Jessica okay. Havoc. Well, you know who's worse than that? Oof. You know who's worse than that? Tell me, Doc. The Iconics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. AKA the Inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Who waltzed in to Bound for Glory in the most TNA uh, style. 
uh, people that have just been cut from the Fed stroll up in to your company and take your belts. They beat Decay, and they looked terrible. Just awful. Sins of TNA wrestling past. I, I, you know, I don't know. This... I, you know, if you asked me maybe like a year and a half ago, I would have said the t- the uh, Impact Women's Division is not too bad. Yeah, but it's it's kind of been, I think, slowly revealed to me that it might be pretty bad, <laughs> and it's it's getting worse because they're bringing in and belting up these two who I think, in terms of in ring, have absolutely nothing to offer this promotion. Um, there are people that enjoy their characters people that enjoy hot ladies being on their TV, you know, and hey, you do you. But for me, these are not people that should be featured wrestlers. These are not people who should be champions. And this was a really bad way to start off this pay-per-view. I have been told and, for years that Cassie Lee is a really good wrestler. And I've never seen it. I have seen a good amount of Jessica McKay's wrestling career, including her brief time in Shimmer. And she is exactly the same wrestler she was when she was barely old enough to travel to another country by herself in Shimmer till now. I will admit that I enjoy their characters and personalities because they're kooky and wacky. And I like kooky and wacky to a certain degree. But everything you're saying, Doc, is 100% right. Like I said a second ago, this feels like the sins of TNA past where someone from the Stanford Supermax, as Don Callis would call it, would immediately (laughs) jump to this promotion and automatically show how they are automatically better than everybody else on the roster because they came from the other place which brings me to another problem that impact wrestling had in the year 2021 and that was kenny omega kenny omega oh man (laughs) was impact wrestling champion and let's be honest was there anyone on the impact wrestling roster that came out of the forbidden door being open that was better for it who did kenny omega lose the title to he lost the title to another aew contracted wrestler in christian cage who ended up losing the title to joss alexander and immediately lost it to moose you stealing my thunder. This is <laughs> this is. But, but go ahead, please continue. And all of this feels, for the lack of a better term, it all feels very TNA wrestling, and not in a good way. And I've said for years that Scott Demore is a really underrated booker because for a lot of the really good stuff during the TNA years of the 2000s, a lot of that was Scott Demore and Jeff Jarrett. That that was a lot of that. And I've defended old Double J many, many times over the years. And I've I've always called Scott Demore 
kind of underrated, but right now and in the last two years or so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm starting to say that Scott Demore might not be the best booker anymore. You know, maybe he's missing Sanjay Dutt and Don Callis in in the booking room. You know, he might be. And maybe the synergy is he good. Might you be. know, might be but time. To like call you said, up it's been it's been a rough time. <laughs> yes, right. Well, he's working for Vinnie Mac still, isn't he? I don't he? think he is. No, no, I don't think he is. Did he? Okay, because he was last I checked uh, this year. <laughs> he he slithered back into that company, and uh, you can never knock the hustle never. with uh, with Jarrett. But man, you've all right. I'm going to set aside everything no, that you said, because there's a lot we could go expound. into, but well, I'm just going to, I will expound into it, but I'm going to move up the card here bound for glory. Cause there's just stuff I want to talk about at this show. So the, the, the women's tag direction is set. We talked that you're going to feature the inspiration, uh, not interested. Then let's move all the way up. And talk about uh, the women's singles title, the knockouts title. I think one of the only unimpeachably good things that this promotion has had going on for a while is Diana Perazzo. I think, you know, she is a person who she's like the good version of someone who steps out of the Stanford Supermax, comes into the company and wins the belt. But the way that they did that first feud with Jordan grace, and there were a number of matches in it, but it was, it was awesome. The matches were great. The buildup was great. They did like a, like a worked shoot thing on uh busted open, uh, which was like, normally I'm not like a fan of that kind of thing, but it was fun at the time. And Deanna won the title and She's just had a tremendous, tremendous reign. I think in ring, she's been just the best person in that company, the best woman. And character wise, I think she's just been amazing. She's like this sort of she's the virtuosa. She's almost like like the Met Gala personified. Like she wears really big robes and big hats and like names her moose, things like the Venus de Milo and, you know, She's very much like uh, my wrestling is like uh, classical art and I am better than all of you. I'm more cultured than ever. And and she's got uh, drama king Matt now, uh, the former Aiden English in her corner, who very much emanates that vibe <laughs> and increases that vibe. And so she's been great. She, her reign was briefly interrupted uh, when Sue Young that so. Kylie Ray, I think, was supposed to win the knockouts title from her a year or so ago. But that was the show that Kylie Ray like kind of ghosted impact. And so they did an impromptu match between Sue Young and Deanna and Deanna lost. But then Deanna won it right back like weeks later. So that was a weird thing to interrupt the rain. But I mean, what are you going to do? But she's had it for a while and you know do, do how do you feel about mickey james david i'm very positive on mickey james i've oh, i've always been very okay. high on her and maybe it's just because i think she's pretty 
that might just be it. <laughs> but she's always been, at worst, solid in the ring. Um, I don't know. I haven't been watching a ton of Impact. Would you say Father Time is catching up on Mickey James, would you say? I mean, maybe. I'm not really familiar with her kind of priors. Well, she she was um, always... She was always, at least on WWE standards, she was always very top tier in in the ring. Mm. Um, again, she's she's not younger anymore. Um, yeah. So I, I imagine that's probably a factor. She's been in the ring and on the roads for now twenty years plus. She's a twenty year vet. Uh, her first real prominence was in early Ring of Honor as Alexis Lurie. So think about how long she's been wrestling. Uh, That's even before Ohio Valley Wrestling, so make of that what you will. Uh, So maybe just me personally, I'd give her a pass. I think that as being kind of a elder statesman of women's wrestling right now, I think Mickey James is a good placeholder i think that's a good spot for her and i get the impression that's what impact is using her for as kind of a kind of a gatekeeper and i don't know it, i believe she she did just win the knockouts title and yes. maybe <laughs> maybe that's kind of a a chance for diana perrazzo to to get a little bit of a refresh Maybe there are some fresh feuds that are due with Impact because Perrazzo did hold the Knockouts title for a while. And sometimes a change of scenery, fresh coat of paint, new champion, freshen things up. That's not always a bad thing. And maybe that's the case. And Mickey James is solid to good and will work with just about anybody and it'll be really good and of course given who she's married to that opens the forbidden door and can bring in talent from the nwa with empower so i'm looking at all of this and i say if they're gonna at least temporarily center the women's division around mickey james it's okay that's fine would I rather it be Sue Young or Susan or Susie? Me personally, yeah, that's what I would do. Oh, no. Me personally, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, you you don't like <laughs> well, you don't like Sue Young. Uh, the incarnation of Sue Young in twenty twenty one is um, creaky, uh, movement wise ah, in the ring. Okay, and uh, similarly. Mickey James in this match with Deanna did not look good. I mean, I can totally see what you're saying. And when it was the WWF diva era of her being like, Oh man, like someone who can wrestle like, you know, Molly Holly. Awesome. Uh, but in this particular match, she just, just didn't look good, man. Her offense looks super light and not really believable. And uh, I could not disagree more with the like, I mean, I understand like in the abstract, there are times when it's good to have someone drop the title, do a refresh, not hold it for a long time. I just don't think this is one of those times. 
Deanna with the title, amazing. You know, she was Deanna two belts. She has the uh, AAA women's title. And maybe this is why they took it off of her. Maybe she was going to lose a bunch in AAA and they don't want their champion losing. Who can say? Uh, the Forbidden Door is already open because this feud began on NWA in power when Deanna showed up masked to attack Mickey James. And this is kind of what started the six week or so long feud. And they do vignettes where, you know, Deanna drove down to Mickey's farm and tried to beat her up and she got thrown in the hay. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, just the match itself wasn't great. And I just was not, it did not leave me enthused about the division. It did not make me want to see more Mickey James matches and have her defend the title. Uh, I was just sad that the the person that I thought like, okay, here's something that I can look forward to on every impact pay-per-view or impact special, you know, her defending the woman's title, wrestling a good match, cutting a fun promo, being a jerk. Uh, and now that's just gone. <laughs> so, and I just, from impact, I don't get speaking it. Speaking of things from impact that are gone, that I used to really enjoy that are gone. They canceled, uh, swingers palace. They ended Swingers Palace. Oh, no. (laughs) That's sad. Yeah, I like that segment, Swingers Palace was just this ridiculous, bizarre weekly segment where Johnny Swinger and his Swingerellas would have wrestlers at their poker table with Johnny Bravo dealing cards for, for listeners. And it was the most bizarre thing that impact had done since wrestle house and it was <laughs> so goofy and it just worked so well because johnny swinger is such a character and and it all worked so well and they canceled swinger's palace so that, that's just maybe that's another it was a thing knock against impact these days i know uh, maybe they for whatever reason we're only going to do it from nashville because uh, they've very recently started like moved their tapings. So since the they've come back from the pandemic, they've been doing all their tapings at Skyway Studios in Nashville, and they recently moved into Vegas for Bound for Glory and all these TV tapings. So maybe I don't know. Maybe it's a thing that they were only doing in Nashville. Shrug. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I could not tell you why that they. They ceased Swingers Palace, but yes, yeah, another knock against this promotion. Um, and I know I'm taking a long time, so I'll just really briefly get to the final part of this Impact Wrestling stock down. Um, the world title, uh, what they've done with it here, I think sucked super bad. Um, I'm someone who is completely okay with putting it on Kenny and. You know, I I would hear arguments for like people questioning the Rich Swan and Moose matches with Omega and kind of what they did for those guys if, if they were uh, helpful for them. Kenny did pop ratings for Impact, especially early on. So I think the, the decision was good. Um, I think from the point of view of Ollie Wrestling, moving the title to Christian was good to heat up the the Christian Omega match at the the previous pay-per-view. And if you're impact, I don't think it's the worst thing ever to belt up Christian. I know he's a talent, uh, a contracted, as you said, AEW guy, but he's like an impact legend. 
So him coming home with the title, I think for a long time, fans of Impact and TNA, like it feels good. At least this is for me from the outside looking in, you know, it's sort of like the return of Christopher Daniels. Like he's an AEW guy, but he's an Impact guy and means so much to that company that, you know, it must feel kind of good, right? But just, I loved the the alexander feud i mean i love josh alexander he's one of my absolute favorites pod favorite josh alexander uh really good match with christian he's been having a hell of a year and he gets his crowning moment and then of course moose immediately cashes in and uh beats him in front of his wife and kid and uh this was terrible uh money in the banks cash ins where all you need is a referee for your world title, I think that it just needs to go away. It needs to go away because it does no one any favors. It doesn't do uh, Alexander to me any favors. Uh, it doesn't help Moose. You know, I love Moose. I'm a huge Moose proponent. I think he's great. I think him winning the world title this way. I mean, I'd rather see him work his way up, uh, challenge the champ and just beat him. And I'd be into that. Not into this. I don't care. Like, I, you know, I could see you making the case. I, I know you like heat and I could see you making the case for this angle. No, I didn't like but it. You don't watch impact. I like it. For me, someone who is watching impact and has been, I don't want to watch anymore because I just hate this. I think it's just a total kind of pull the rug out from under the fans, not give them what they want, kick the can down the road in a really bad way. I think this was the time to crown Alexander. I understand exactly and, uh, how yeah. you feel because it reminds me of when Daniel Bryan, I believe, uh, in the match that eventually led up to WrestleMania 30, uh, Daniel Bryan beat John Cena super clean in the middle of the ring to be WWE champion. And then Brandy Orton cashed in on him immediately. Yes, I, I understand yes. exactly how you feel. I understand exactly how you feel. And one other thing about Bound for Glory, and this was one of those bizarre TNA wrestling things that only happens with this promotion. The Battle Royal that they had, the Collier Shot Battle Royal, um, during this, uh, I was watching Twitter as it was going on, and I will admit at the time I had been uh, a little bit under the influence. I, I had had some, some, <laughs> some Saturday evening libations at the time. And okay. when I saw someone come out for this battle Royal, I, I swear all I could say is <laughs> I, it hit me. In such a way that I don't think I could handle it. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about the legendary Kiss Demon, Dale Torborg. Yep. I swear. You DM'd me, Doc, and I didn't know what you were talking about. Doc, when I saw this, <laughs> I was as legal in Michigan as a kite when it happened. <laughs> and I I swear I couldn't handle it. I could not handle it. And the next morning I saw a few people across wrestling Twitter just 
asking the same question that I had. And did that really happen? <laughs> oh, and people were saying on Twitter, like, wait, y'all were serious about the Kiss Demon showing up? <laughs> and yes, that really did happen. And again, that that is another example of just one of those weird TNA wrestling things. And there were there was a lot of that on this show, wasn't there? Former White Sox pitching coach Dale Torborg, <laughs> strength and conditioning coach as That's well. That's real. You can, yes. Um, they I heard that they wanted to to do more. You know, I heard that they were really trying to get Strowman and Wyatt for this show. And uh, could could you imagine? If instead of Moose, it was the former Bray Wyatt to win the the Battle Royal and then just Sister Abigail, Josh Alexander, laugh in his wife's face and spider walk toward his kid. Like, I'd have just thrown the remote through television. <laughs> Honestly, th- that would be my option for heat. That's what I would have done. Ugh. Ugh. No, thank you. Oh, this is, I just, I gotta, I gotta unplug from the impact for a few months. Yeah, yeah. This is just stock down basement, penny stock now. No, it's sell, sell, sell. Getting a hard pass for sell, me for a sell, while. Sell. Yeah. All right. My stock down. And this hurts because it's someone that I love dearly. Uh, kind of this theme of both of my stocks is guys that I've loved for a long, long time. And I feel like he is an awesome pro wrestler who has had an awesome 2021. But I'm worried now more than ever that at the end of 2021 and going to 2022, he's going to get lost in the shuffle. Doc, I am starting to sell on Shingo. What? <sighs> I, I hate it. Wait a minute. Explain yourself. I hate it. I hate this. I do. I've been saying since we started this podcast and before that New Japan Pro Wrestling is due for a reset in 2022. And I've said that I think that reset is coming with the upcoming Russell Kingdom show in January. I'm going to argue against this notion when we get to this topic, by the way. Okay. And that reset will revolve around Kazuchika Okada, the Rainmaker, which, for the record, is fine. Because Okada is an incredible wrestler and super awesome. Podfave. He's a friend of the show. Yes. Come on, anytime, Kazu. We know Okada-san is listening. He's more than welcome anytime. He's going to be in the States, so we'll see. I'll try and make something happen. But the thing about Shingo is I am worried that going into 2022, I see Kazuchika Okada. I see Will Ospreay. I see Jay White. And I see Kota Ibushi and even Tetsuya Naito returning from their injuries. I, Who's that third guy? I don't know who you're talking about. Does he wrestle for New Japan anymore? Big dumb Billy? 
No, no, the third guy with J- Jason J. Oh, yeah, he's who did you say? The, White? Who's that the guy? Dude on New Japan I don't know Strong. Oh, maybe he did wrestle her a couple times. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Yes. Um, Speaking of lost in the shuffle, Jay White's lost in the shuffle right now. But I think that coming Where into 2022, Jay White and all of the other dudes I mentioned, including the currently injured Naito and Ibushi, will probably all get prioritized over Shango. And man, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But <laughs> I, I just, I see the New Japan Pro Wrestling hard reset company coming, and I think that New Japan will reset around their guys. And that's Okada, that's Osprey, that's Jay White, and that's Naito, and that will also be Ibushi. And I don't know how that works out for Shingo. And I don't like it. A very interesting opinion. I know it comes from a place of loving Shingo. Um, the, the stock down. Hmm. So, you know, I'll save my arguments against the reset for for later in the show. But let's, for the sake of argument, say that that does happen. And 2022 is um, the year of Big Dumb Bill. And... Uh, and Shingo is kind of not really featured in the in the world title scene. Would you listen to the argument that said he's had 2021, he's had he will have had the belt for over half the year. Another part of the year he was never champ. He's been in a ton of main events. He's been featured and kind of carried the company in a lot of ways and that it is okay when the new year comes and the new guys come back to cycle down seems a strong word, but just, you know, have them play musical chairs with Osprey and switch spots for a bit. I would say yes. If it were not for this entire silly situation with all seven different versions of the IWGP championship. <laughs> I don't know where this is going to go, but Will Ospreay has a belt. Okada has a belt. Shingo has a belt. And it feels like all of this is pointing to the belts eventually being unified into no, a, no, a in, new... in 12 years, it's going to be like the J crown. Oh <laughs> I'm like someone walking out with 14 oh titles <laughs> and everything about this points to Okada. And I feel like if they do that, it would kind of wipe Shingo's 2021 off of the records. And I'm just not okay with that. Hmm. I guess I don't quite follow that logic. I mean, I think I think you just can't erase his 2021. You know, I mean, I, I maybe it just sort of eats away at your soul that the other top guys don't recognize him and they're doing, you know, this the, the gimmick of like I'm the real champ and like the company is not 
everyone in the company is not saying you're number one. It bugs and me. it bugs. You me. might think that this comes from Gato's mind, and that you think the Booker in his mind is booking this because he doesn't really believe Shingo's a top guy. And it guy. bugs me. It bugs me so much. <laughs> okay, I, that's that's fair. I totally I can get into this like, mindset and see where Shingo you're coming has, from. I don't think that's what he Shingo thinks, but I get has it. Shown himself to be a top heavyweight main event guy in two major Japanese wrestling promotions, Dragon Gate and now yes. New Japan. I don't know what else you want. That, that's kind of how I see it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, of all those, well, no. How old is Ibushi? Ibushi's like 38, 39. Okay. So Shingo's younger than him. Like him, and... Naito, and Ibushi are all around the same age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So they're all, I was going to say, Okada and Will are younger. Yeah. So if you were making the case for youth. But, but yeah, that cluster of guys is all kind of the same age. So I don't know. I, I get where you're coming from. I would not. I'm going to hold my Shingo stock, though, um, because to me and you have more experience with this promotion. You know, the mind of of Gato and Jado, to be fair, and Dick Togo better, better than myself. I don't but know shit about Dick Togo. If I were. <laughs> OK, well, if I was in if I was in Gato's shoes, if I was under Gato's plethora of hats, uh I would, you know, I would be thinking, man, this, this guy in an emergency situation, he's shown it to me. And so I have to, now he is at the top of the card. If evil is at the top of the card, you know, if we're, if we're supposed to think of him as, as a leader of a faction and a main event guy, then surely, you know, the fans now believe in Shingo and he's got the title and he's held it and he's defended it and, you know. Surely I've got to now kind of keep him in and around this scene. Uh, it would be silly if he just pretended it didn't happen. So, but we'll see. I, I hope that's not the case. Same, same. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope me selling my Shingo stock gets some people alarmed and they, they turn the ship around. All right. Come on, Gato. We've covered our stocks. Let's jump into the news. Now, on the last episode, Doc, my stock down, I believe, was Ring of Honor. And, well, uh, I hope... <laughs> why, did, why did you do it? I hope... <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> I hope I'm not called in for insider trading. Because, man, did I call that or did I call that? Boy, you, you got out while the getting was good. Um, so, yeah, the news is that Ring of Honor released an announcement that they will be suspending operations uh, after final battle. And news got out later that they will be releasing all of their performers and allowing them to take bookings elsewhere. And they will hope to continue in spring of 2022 with Supercard of Honor. And yeah, here I had been talking about how hopeful I am that Ring of Honor will find a direction in 2022 to celebrate their 20th anniversary, 20 years of Ring of Honor. And yeah, yeah, they, they seem to be, 
They seem to be shutting things down for a bit. Uh, Sinclair Broadcasting has decided that Ring of Honor has gone over their budget for far too long. They were paying wrestlers throughout the pandemic, even when they weren't wrestling. And yeah, here we are. ROH is about to go dark. To quote the troll, feels bad, man. It it hurts. This sucks. I I've loved it, followed Ring of Honor for the better part of two decades. And I would not be here on this podcast talking about pro wrestling without Ring of Honor. And the everything they influenced, everything they made, everything they were a part of, and this sucks, man. This sucks. I hope that this is temporary. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. So the company is not folding. We should be clear. They are not. They have not said that they are shuttering. You know, we've we've got the hiatus until the spring. And they're releasing everyone in the new year. And I think that they are paying people up through like March or April. Um, but, you know, after that, I think, I think we can assume ring of honor will still exist in some form. Now, there are a lot of people, uh, PW insider included saying the ring of honor that, that you knew is dead. Do you agree with that statement? 100%. The ring of honor that has been around in the last four or five years is likely no more. Mm, okay. Do well. Mm, okay. So that's an interesting way to caveat it. So do you think the ring of honor from inception to now that we've known is dead? I'm going to say no, because I think that until we hear something from Sinclair Broadcasting saying that they are absolutely done with Ring of Honor, like they're selling off the company or shutting it down and saying all Ring of Honor operations are finished and done and over, or God forbid the tape library gets sold. And the licenses get sold. God forbid. I've heard there have been conflicting reports that it's for sale. Right. Um, Alvarez says it's not for sale. Uh, un- until we get some kind of word on that, I think Ring of Honor is still alive. I think it's a little early to declare Ring of Honor completely dead. But for me, the Ring of Honor that existed say from when kevin steen and el generico left which is around 2013 Mm. to 2014 up until now that is gone that is gone but potentially the ring of honor that existed from 2002 up until that point there's that possibility that that Ring of Honor, the Ring of Honor that was known as the Super Indie, could come back. 
And if that's the direction that Ring of Honor will go in in the future, in many ways, kind of going back to its bread and butter, I, I suppose nothing is impossible there. Hmm. This this is the the flip side of being owned by a big corporation. You know, when things are good for that big corporation uh, and or when things are good for uh, the wrestling business, particularly, you know, the your company. It's great. You know, you got safety net, you got a big budget, you got support, you got TV. But when things go or are going bad for the for the big corp, uh, almost regardless of what you do as a wrestling company, and certainly if you're not doing well as a wrestling company, of that big corporation, so, someone who knows nothing about wrestling, who doesn't follow the business, who is not interested in if you think you can grow or what uh, sort of circumstances are behind this, you just come and slash you. And, you know, I think this is what's happened. I think it's important for us to say, and I, well, I'll say this and I'll see if you agree with it. This is not Ring of Honor's fault. This is the fault of the pandemic. Like so many American businesses and businesses around the world, um, the pandemic has ha, has done this. Has I was going to say killed Ring of Honor, but it's not dead. But has has seriously wounded ROH. You know because pre pandemic they were still getting budget from Sinclair to throw six figures at guys like Roosh. Bandito, Cobb, etc. PCO, whoever you want to Danhausen. <laughs> I don't know how much Danhausen was making, but 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 guys guys uh, like those Brody King, you know, guys like that. Uh, and they were competing and sometimes winning in in bidding wars with WWE and with AEW. Um, but. Like you said, they they paid people for, I'd say, nine months and went dark and did no shows and made no money. Um, but they did the right thing and paid everyone what they were meant to pay them. And also during that time, Sinclair made this huge investment in the regional sports networks. Like they bought up all those RSNs and, and created, I think it's called Bally sports. Yeah. Like if you have NBA league pass and you're, and you see the Bally logo, that's uh that's Sinclair. I think that was like almost a hundred billion with a B dollar deal. And they borrowed 80 billion of that to, to, to make that purchase. And from what I hear, that's turned out to be maybe not the greatest investment that maybe a lot of these teams are thinking about cutting out the middleman and, doing what a lot of the big European soccer clubs did decades ago and just start their own streaming service and have people pay them directly. Um, and so if you're Sinclair in that case, you're looking for things to cut. And ROH has been in the red during the pandemic. You know, it's it's such it's such bad timing for them, this this thing, because you know, they were they were just getting going again. 
and uh, and then they had to shut down again because COVID nineteen got bad again, and you know the accounts are going to do what the accounts are going to do, and I mean I I think you know ROH ticket wise pre pandemic was was okay not great i don't think it was amazing but i think it was fine what's uh, that not great uh all reports were that oh you think not great post elite not great mm. yeah. okay well that's interesting because post elite they were still getting big money to sign people but you know i don't know i guess it that, never that was all sinclair. the time between post elite all sinclair yeah okay I know it hurt them. I mean, it's hard to deny that it hurt them because the last ROH show I went to, you know, the elite were still there. And I mean, the crowd was okay. You know, it wasn't fantastic, but, um, but I think, I don't know. I think if there, I, if there was no pandemic, I mean, I think, and, and they were still able to do shows regularly in Baltimore in Philly, Nashville, Detroit, I think they'd be okay, you know, but I just think it's, I think the pandemic has just totally pulled the rug out from under them. As much as I do agree that it was the pandemic, I think longtime Ring of Honor fans will also point the finger not as much at, <clears throat> as Sinclair because oh, they no. were giving ROH the resources they needed to an extent, which I'll talk about later. But I also think we need to look at the masked man, Delirious, a.k.a. Hunter oh, Johnston. No. <laughs> okay. Still working there right now. Still employed. Yeah. Um, Today. That was not the plan. Uh, Ring of Honor and Sinclair had planned to move him out as head booker and put someone yeah. else in. And that didn't work out. Marty Marty. And that didn't work out. Nope. And even before that, there was a lot of criticism for Delirious as a booker. There's a lot of criticism. Sure. And I don't think that that should be ignored. And that includes pre, during, and post-elite. And I think that a lot of long-time Ring of Honor fans would want to say, yes, Pandemic, but also Delirious as a booker. Yeah. like I, I think that the powers that be at Ring of Honor, Joe Koff, Kerry Car- Silken, whomever at Sinclair, probably knew that it was kind of time for Delirious to move on, or at least step down and let somebody else be the head booker and the head of creative. And yeah, I think that for his, but he's still, he's still it. He is like for whatever the new incarnation is going to be. It's, it's going to be delirious still making the matches. And that's what worries me about the future. Unless they take the PWG route and just book big matches. In which case that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's cool. If Ring of Honor becomes the super indie of the East Coast again and just books big matches, and and here's what I was going to say about Sinclair, 
if Sinclair gives them television time, say, for example, on the Bally Sports Networks or with their syndicated networks in a time slot that's not Saturday at two in the morning, (laughs) maybe that will garner some interest. But I don't think it's too crazy to ask Sinclair, if I'm Ring of Honor, that if they are going to stay around in 2022, I don't think it's crazy to ask Sinclair to give them a little bit better television coverage. Hmm. Well, I think they're happy with whatever they're getting for the ads because the TV is not going anywhere. You know, I, th- I think that they're they're still going to be on TV. I haven't heard anything about the time slot being taken away or anything like that. So I think that they're going to just try. This is totally speculation, by the way. I, I think that they're going to just cut salary and see if they can make the same ad money and just not spend nearly as much on talent. Um, and yeah, it'll be, you know, it'll be BLP, AIW, that kind of vibe, maybe. Um, um, maybe the production will be better if they own all their production equipment and that sort of thing. I also like, I know PW Insider, you know, in the big piece said that, you know, don't expect the locker room to look like it does now, but I think that there are quite a few guys that work there. Um, that you know, like, I don't see Tony Deppen, you know, going to work for impact or AEW. I think when ROH comes back, you know, your Dak Drapers, of the world, you know, you give them a couple hundred bucks, they'll work the show. You know what I mean? And that's just, they'll keep working independence you know, I don't know what happens to their their top people. I'm I'm sure most of them will be fine, but I think you can expect to see uh, a fair few of the guys that you have been seeing. Um, you know, maybe not your Briscoes and uh, Brody Kings and what have you, but but the mid card level guys, I, I think, could be could still stick around. Um, and you know, regarding Delirious, I think. I mean, Gato couldn't have solved this problem for them this year. I mean, if you're not running, you can't do anything. And I know that the booking has been not great, um, you know, the last couple years. But I actually think since they rebooted from the pandemic um, shutdown, I actually have enjoyed the booking. I think it's been fairly like meat and potatoes, which is all that I want, honestly. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much I blame the booking. I'm still uh, very much like, you know, maybe, maybe long term, uh, you know, it, I don't know. I don't know if it would have come to this. This was just such a blow for them, but it's terrible. You know, I, I hate it. I hate that such a fixture uh, in the world of pro wrestling Um has to kind of endure this. And, you know, as much as we're talking about it being a, a, a big indie, I don't think that there's zero chance that it just doesn't go away. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe things are even worse for Sinclair come, come April, you know, who, who can say, um, WCW went on hiatus. Remember? 
they didn't come back. This is this so. is why I'm so upset about it because, like you, I loved WCW, and I loved Ring of Honor with all of my heart for many many years. And watching Rampage uh, on Friday, it opened up with. Uh, it, it opened up with so much. It, it opened up with Brian Danielson versus Eddie Kingston, and then it went into Matt Seidel versus Dante Martin, and then it went to CM Punk, who looks to be starting a feud with Eddie Kingston. And just look at how much God. look at how much Ring of Honor influence is across. Yeah. All of the major promotions right now. There's so much Ring of Honor influence, and I I hope there's more. I hope there's more. Um, let let's let's keep the let's keep it high. Let's let's continue on another high note. <laughs> okay, and talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, Doc. Oh my God, New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I talked about my stock down, how I don't like what's happening with New Japan right now. Doc, you tell me what's going on with New Japan. Okay. Oh boy, wrestling. It's a, there's a, there's a lot of wrestling. That's a bit of a dumpster fire right now. (laughs) It never ends. Um, New Japan's not in a good way right now. Um, so they're they're on the Power Struggle Tour at the moment, but they have just come off of, you know, probably their, like, second biggest kind of event of the year, the G1 Final, the G1 Tour. Very prestigious. A lot of people that don't pay attention to um, New Japan uh, during, like, the spring or whatever, they tune in for the G1. So a lot of extra eyes on the company. But uh, in the final, Kota Ibushi uh, hurt, I guess, his shoulder. Did did we find out that if it was a shoulder uh, injury? It was a dislocated shoulder. Yeah. So he's going for a Phoenix splash just when the match is heating up, about 15 minutes or so in, I think, and uh, dislocates his shoulder. And it was terrible. Um, kind of also uh, poetically a sort of encapsulation of new Japan at the minute, just a snake bit company in, in many ways, Ibushi second time this year that, uh, he is going to miss time top guy in the company. Um, big loss for them. This is, uh, happening in, in the, in a, in a tour, the start of which they lost another huge star Tetsuya Naito, uh, with a knee injury. He sustained in a match, his first G1 match against Zack Sabre Jr. Do we know how long he's supposed to miss time? I uh, have not gotten the report on Tetsuya Naito, but the word is that it was an ACL and a meniscus injury. So it could be oh, God. an extended amount of time. Two of their, like, would you say five biggest names? Absolutely. Um, Just gone. And that's tough. But not insurmountable on its own because uh, new Japan is great at having a bench full of guys uh, and saying next man up. 
and ha- being being able to heat a guy up and move him into a top spot. Unfortunately, injuries aren't the only issue uh, at the moment. And they're not the only reason New Japan is a mess. Um, the booking uh, room has been uh, hijacked by aliens or a rogue algorithm. Because Ed, you have alluded to this earlier, um, the old uh, IWGP version four heavyweight championship belt is back. Kazuchika Okada went into the lab and emerged with this banger of an idea that instead of a briefcase to represent his G1 victory, uh, he wanted to carry on the old title and defend that title for reasons that uh, I'm have to do with the you know but honestly, I'm if, not 100% this is allowed, clear on why. If this is allowed, I want Hiroyoshi Tenzon to have the, the version three. <laughs> IWGP title, the lion <laughs> title, the golden lions title. Uh, I don't know what that title looks like. I'll have to Google. I, I'll that let you have a look show. at that one later, but it's, it's great. It's, okay. it's a beautiful king of sport lion, new Japan title. And there are three, as we talked about or in the earlier episodes of the show, three wrestle kingdoms happening two Tokyo dome, one, I'm actually not sure of the venue. Is it the Ota Ward Gymnasium? Yes. I'm not sure, but some other event in Tokyo or venue rather in Tokyo. Um, and, you know, we can assume that they're going to have some cockamamie tournament uh, for, you know, d- d- the purpose of unifying these three titles. And it just keeps ballooning. They can't stop themselves. I mean, I th- back when they first did the double gold dash a couple years ago, you know, I thought this is a cool one time thing. You know, we're going to have <laughs> we're going to have two Tokyo domes because at the time, New Japan was king shit of the world, making money hand over fist, selling places out. Everything is is roses and cotton candy. And we're thinking. Uh, how can Tetsuya Naito. Uh, emerge victorious from this scenario and, and do so in a way that would satisfy his longtime fans to, to give him something over Kazuchika Okada. And the solution was he would become the first ever double champion. No one could take that away from him. Well, this double gold dash thing has just continued and grown and they haven't been able to stop themselves from, from doing it. And it is, devaluing the G1, devaluing Wrestle Kingdom. Okada is just constantly in a lab coming up with weird ideas for new championship. He came up with the KOPW bullshit, and now he's abandoned it. It's his bastard child that he's left with Toriano. Uh, and, you know, now he's got this weird <laughs> thing with the IWGP V4 belt. And honestly, they should stop letting him come. I, maybe it's just Dick Togo and he's pinning his ideas on Okada. I don't know. But whoever's responsible for this needs to just be uh, kicked to the curb because this is all bad um, and I don't like any of it. And what what is happening, DJM? What, what do you think of all this nonsense? That's exactly what it is. It's a bunch of nonsense. And I I don't know what to make of it either. It's why I so strongly feel like the 
the reset button is coming because I think New Japan probably knows how much of a mess they are right now. And for the listeners at home, uh, Doc, this is going to be in the Zencaster chat. I'm sending you a photo of what is known as the IWGP V2 title. Uh, you'll see Satoshi Kojima. Oh, the castle one. And, and Hiroshi <laughs> Tenzan holding that title. This is a terrible belt. Yes, how I, I've dare seen, you? I've seen this before. I hate the that it looks like the the top of Helm's Deep. It, it looks like a crown. Like the, the top of it's a crown. <laughs> it, lo- it looks like a um a waffle block. It's a crown. If you if you have small children, you know a waffle block. It's are. a crown for the <laughs> king of sport. How dare you? Do you see he's supposed to wear it on his head? It's a title, and it's a great title. <laughs> Oh my god. That that that's why <laughs> I was not upset when I saw the new IWGP World Heavyweight title that they gave to Shingo. I was kind of like it kind of looks like the old IWGP Heavyweight title. It kind of looks like the crown sort of. And and I know somewhere it has the New Japan Lion logo on it, so it's it's kind of all right. Oh doc, you oh man. You don't like the crown? You don't like the V2? Oh, wow. Okay. Well. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Well, anyway. We, we got to get all these titles sorted out. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's going to be Okada. And, and he will get to wear the belt that he wants. And. Yeah. The, the United States title. Uh, I guess that that's Tanahashi and Kenta, but otherwise it just kind of feels like new Japan has a lot of really good wrestlers that are kind of directionless. And it sounds like they're just kind of stumbling and limping towards the finish line of 2021 and just trying to get to Mm. wrestle kingdom just to start fresh. Yeah. And I think they need it. And you have Jay White marooned over here with the never open white title. Him and J- him and Will Ospreay can get on the same flight. Okay, so the the whole reset button thing. Um, I think this would be a bad idea. I don't think this will be sound. I'll tell you why. Because okay, so. The whole title situation with the introducing the multiple belts. Actually, the story between Will and Shingo, I quite like that story. Will, of course, was injured and was forced to uh, give up the title. They stripped him. And his complaint was, I never lost the belt. And they allowed John Moxley to hold their United States title for over a year. And here I am, you know leaving uh, for like a couple months and they take it from me. It's not right. I'm still the champ. Something I can buy into. It's it's that case when there's a some grain of truth in what the heel has to say. So the, this whole thing I'm into and I'm into seeing those two clash again. And uh, it's the whole Okada business that just feels um, this other title that feels wonky to me. But but I'll, so the core of my point, though, why I'm against the reset is this. Because 
so the the, the reset claims that like we're gonna go but refocus on all top guys because presumably what you've been doing with the current set of newer guys hasn't been working. And I think that that is impossible to know uh, during the pandemic in Japan, how anything has been working because there, this is a company, new Japan pro wrestling that unlike AEW and WWE, does not uh, subsist mainly on TV rights fees. They are a traditional company in that live events, live gates are their bread and butter. That is how they live. That is how they survive. And they were doing incredible in the uh, two fiscal years before the pandemic. They were making more money than they had ever made. I think that they almost made $5 million worth of profit just to, you know, after everything was paid uh taxes uh, everybody got their salary 5 million you know close to 5 million i think in the black then you have uh the fiscal year roll around in which they had to shut down for 3 months uh but the 2 months or so prior to that shutdown or several months prior to the shutdown because the fiscal years are from june to june so the last quarter the last third of that fiscal year was was uh where they could do nothing according to uh brandon thurston of wrestlenomics they were only like one point they, they made 1.9 million profit then the current fiscal year which you know has it's been totally a covid fiscal year limited capacity venues They've tried to run more and more shows, but they're running them with these watered-down cards um, because they feel like they have to. They don't want to hurt their guys by putting them in strenuous matches or a bunch of singles matches or whatever. Uh, or making them work year-round, so they'll, of course, as they usually do, cycle guys in and out. You know, a guy will get a month of rest or whatever. But... Do you know do, do you know how much money in the current uh 2020 June 1 to 2021 May 31st do you know how much money uh that New Japan Pro Wrestling made or lost could you take a guess I cannot venture I would say that they were up a few million that's what I'll say They made $55,000 That that was uh, that's it. So that's margin of error. That's not, they basically broke even. Yeah. Um, and during this fiscal year, New Japan World subs were as high as they'd ever been. That January, they had one hundred sixty thousand subs. I want to say, which is as high as they've ever had for that Wrestle Kingdom. Now, I'm sure they dipped afterwards, but that's always how it goes. Uh, so they're. You know, international, d- despite you and, and me living in a wrestling bubble in which interest in New Japan is internationally very diminished, apparently a lot of people cared about seeing Wrestle Kingdom and subsequent shows. So that's doing fine. Um, but I just think that 
to say, hey, what we've been doing hasn't been working. Um, it's, it's, it's just totally, I think, baseless because you, you can't tell if anything's working because you can't get crowd noise. You can't sell tickets. Um, so I don't even, I don't know if like going back to Okada, I don't even know if that's what the fans want. I mean, for all we know, evil could be a uh, huge in Japan. <laughs> they could, he could be getting nuclear heat, uh, in a, in a non COVID environment, but people can't boo. And, uh, you know, uh, for all we know, Shingo could, uh, be selling out Osaka Joe hall, sumo hall. They, they can't sell out those venues. Uh, the government will not allow them to do so. And, uh, it's it's just a situation in which it's just totally opaque, I think, what's working. And I guess if you wanted to argue, okay, COVID restrictions are about to lift, so we want to come out of the gate with our strongest foot forward, I mean, I guess I could see it. But if your reason is like, well, what we've been doing has sucked and hasn't been making money, well, nothing would have made money. If Okada had had the belt during this last, it would be the the same. I mean, because as far as I know, they've sold what they could sell. I mean, maybe you have some of these Corican shows where they're not filling their limited capacity, but they've run Corican like 50 times <laughs> this year. <laughs> like they run that building two or three times a week, it feels like. Um, so I don't know. I just think a reset could be premature. I think moving forward with Will and Shingo. And I mean, I think Abushi is still in, in the mix, whether you're talking about old top guys or new top guys. I think he straddles that line. People like evil. Um, you know, I think they should try it when COVID is lifted and see what they've got. Cause f- for me, like the jury is just totally out. And there's no reason to like take all the momentum away from new stars you're building to to risk hurting them long term when interest in them could be could be way, way up. I think interest is down internationally, not because necessarily of who's being featured apart from evil. Let's set evil aside. Uh, The interest is down because the atmosphere sucks. Yeah. Interest is down because people can't scream and holler. And you don't have, you know, sold out buildings clapping and saying, Takagi, Takagi. Like, that, that's when things feel hot. And uh, and it just feels kind of staid and uh, 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 sterile because everyone just has to clap. And I think people are just kind of kind of sick of it when they could just watch AEW. So for all these reasons, I think a reset might be a little premature. And might not be the best way to approach the coming, crossing my fingers, coming restrictions being lifted uh, of COVID in Japan. What say you to all this? I say that I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And I hope that all of these guys don't kind of get tossed aside just for the safe choice in New Japan. Because I think you've got so much talent at the top that you could work with any of them as champion and it would all do well. Let's move on to uh, a listener question that we got. A listener question from Greg. 
Greg loves graphics at GreyJB444. Thank you, Greg, for listening. Thanks for your question. He asks Thank us, you. I got a question for you guys. Rumors have been that AEW and Impact are ending their partnership. If you guys had to trade five AEW guys for five Impact guys, who would you trade? The only rule, Greg says, is that they have to be in a similar position on the card. So four main or four mid, four main eventers, four mid-carders. Uh, Doc, I'm going to take a minute to think about this one. I'm going to think on this one. And uh, I will okay. let you go first. Okay. This. Uh, thank you so much for sending this in, Greg. This was a lot of fun to do. Um. So I have my five swaps and I'll tell you my philosophy behind my swaps in the main. What I was thinking DJM was that I wanted to shift from impact some younger guys or, or guys that I think and gals that I think could benefit from national TV exposure on a big ch- stage and could flourish and could long-term maybe build to something special uh, or at least bigger and better than they are now. Um, and from the other side, I w- from AEW, I was thinking about sending over guys that would raise the floor on impact because the floor is pretty low. <laughs> I was thinking about people that maybe had uh, a bit of a profile um, that had been in the promotion before that you could stick on a card and the card would feel sexier. There would be more name value or in case, you know, uh, in, in cases in which this is not. So I was thinking who would fit in the impact uh, milieu, the tone of the promotion, the uh, the rules, and the wonky, weird universe uh, of darkness shenanigans that they have going on. Um, okay, so that was broadly speaking my philosophy and thinking about this. Here are my swaps. So, number one, I would send Abaddon from AEW. <laughs> To impact for the Hossett Jordan Grace. Okay. Abaddon, Abaddon totally fits with impact. They they have, you know, the the decays and the the Sue Young undead brides. They have all of this already. So she, you know, the, the fans are into that. The tone of the promotion is there. Um she would fit in. And I think Jordan Grace could have hella good matches uh, and would be a, a total asset to the women's division. I think she could hang with just about anybody and I, I love her. I think she's awesome and just totally, I know she's the digital media champion right now, but I think she's criminally underused in impact. I like that choice. I like that choice. Okay. Uh, who's your number two? Cause I'm still thinking about mine. I'm at four. Right okay. Now. I'm at four. Okay. Okay. I can give you all five of mine. Right. Um, so I got 
<laughs> this one may be a little bit of cheating, but from AEW, I've got Christian Cage coming to Impact, coming home full time, uh, r- returning to the place that I think really made him famous as a top guy. And I've got Ace Austin going the other way to AEW uh, because here's a, a guy in in Austin that I think is a little raw. Uh, you're going to probably put him on dark uh, and elevation for a while. But I think you've got a crop of guys in that space already that you're kind of working on refining. Dante Martin is emerging from that space in, into the more featured area. Um, and, and Ace could work on his game. And I think he's a decent talker. He's got a gimmick. Um, he's got a defined persona. And I think he's okay. I think he's pretty good in the ring. I like him as a sort of cruiserweightish kind of guy that could uh, fly around that could uh, be a dastardly heel. You know, a lot of their young guys who fly around a lot are, you know, pretty like standard babyface types, but um, I-, I like him a- as a fit there. Okay. <laughs> I, get the, I get the sense you don't like this. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Should I just continue? Keep going. Or do you want to comment? Keep going. Okay. All right. Okay, you're you're not gonna like this one. <laughs> keep keep it coming. Okay, I got uh, from AEW. I'm breaking up the men of the year, and I'm sending Scorpio Sky to Impact. And as soon as he gets there, I'm putting him on the fast track to hold the Impact World Championship. Okay, because so I think I'm with you I think so he's far. that level of good. I'm with you so far, I think he's that level. Yeah, I just I think. In the big pond of AEW, for whatever reason, he his pushes have kept on stalling, and he's not he he's not ascended to the level that you and I think that he's capable of. So I'm I'm putting him in the smaller pond of impact, and I'm saying, go beat Christian, beat Josh Alexander, beat Moose, win that title, be the top guy, um, beat Rich Swan. There's some good matches there he could have, um, and I'm sending. Theodore Perkins to AEW. Oh, TJP. I like that. I like that. Because TJP, you could say a lot of things about Theodore Perkins, the man, not a guy I'd want to know in real life. Uh, but TJP, the wrestler, is just really, really good. I think one of one of the better workers in the country, in my opinion. I mean, I think he's just so clean and crisp, versatile, can work any style. Um, New Japan Dojo graduate. Um, I've never seen him look tired in a match. Uh, I, I think he could come in and really help uh, elevate himself and other people. And I think you could, you know, m- make him almost the kind of uh, guy, a heel version of like Matt Seidel. I could see him um, having a really good match with Sammy Guevara. Oh, totally. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be a It'd really be good feud for the TNT title, I think. Love it. Love it. And I think he is um, it just in booking hell. I don't know what he did to Scott Demore, but the last time I saw him on Impact, he was like, do, he was in a conga line with No Way Jose waving a broom around. <laughs> um, and that's all I'll say about that. Uh, for... I know we just got there, but Bobby Fish, 
I'm sending Bobby Fish to Impact to, again, raise their floor, give them a name, give them a solid uh, heel that can main event their TV every week. Have uh, I sold you on Bobby Fish sending... yet, Doc? Have I sold you on him? What you've seen of AEW How do you mean? now? Oh, I'm, I I think he's good. I like him as a oh, talent. Oh. I, I've always liked Red, both of Red Dragon. Okay. Um, yeah, I think he's very good. Um, totally, yeah. And I don't hate him. I'm sending him to Impact to elevate Impact okay. and to so that he could stand out long term. Um, and I could see again. I could see him as you know. It, it, let me put it this way. <laughs> take some of the microphone time and airtime from Eric Young for again I don't mind Eric Young but like he like cuts the same promo every week and it's kind of exhausting <laughs> but so get give another heel some room to breathe um and I would send Jake something to AEW okay okay another Michigan native uh, I appreciate that okay yeah I love Jake something I think he's awesome um, I, they might want to stick him in a tag team with someone. I don't know what exactly they would do with him, but, uh, but I love him. I think he's got a lot of potential. Uh, I think he's great in the ring. I just love everything about him. And I, I want some more people to know about him. And my final swap is a little bit of, uh, kind of ignoring the philosophy that I set out before you at the beginning here. Um, cause I'm sending a young kid away from AEW. Um, but let me know what you think of this. There's right. two, two masked men are going to get swapped for one. another. You're not moving Fuego and Fuego Dos, are you? No, 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 oh. no, no, no. I wouldn't dare move the Fuego. Good Lord, man. No, 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 no. I'm moving press 10 Vance, um, from rooting him up from the dark order and moving him to impact, unmasking him, letting him be a heartthrob, letting him do his thing, giving him, Big time undefeated run there uh, to lead into some kind of feud, maybe X Division. Uh, who can say? But I'm letting him thrive and impact. And I'm sending, I don't know if he's contracted <laughs> to impact, but on the Wikipedia page of Impact Wrestlers, the roster, he's on there. So I'm going to say he is. I'm sending a Laredo kid to AEW. I'm sticking him with the Lucha yeah. Brothers. Yeah. Make him part of Death Square. I don't know. That works. <laughs> like, he, that I mean, works. he would rule. Oh, yeah. He would just. He's Absolutely. great. He's he's already worked. Uh, you know, before AEW had the TV, I think he main evented one of their pay per views. And he he's um, had so matches he with Kenny like Omega in AAA. And he he would be a, a great fit there. He he'd absolutely work there, no problem. He's a he's a guy who I think wrestles to the level of his competition. So in Impact, I don't think he's been incredible. But as you say, when he's been put in the ring with incredible performers, he's shown. So stick him in there with the Young Bucks, with Omega, with the Lucha Brothers, and no one is going to complain. No, no. Okay, I I figured out my five. Uh, I really just felt like I wanted to stick with the idea of keeping equal cards, like someone that's a main eventer or, or a mid-carder and kind of keeping them in the same place. Uh, there's also one here of a wrestler that I just don't like. Uh, so I'm going to start with one that might be a little controversial on this podcast. And I'm going to start with moving to Impact, Thunder Rosa. 
Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Because I think everything okay. you said earlier in the show about Thunder Rosa, well, around the impact women's division, the knockouts division, is totally That's accurate. That's true. It's true. And I think I mean, she'd be great. I think as a face of their knockouts division and as a focal point, I think La Mera Mera would be perfect. And given that Britt Baker seems to be on a Roman Reigns run with the AEW Women's World title, and the TBS title seems to be all but made for Jade Cargill, it feels like Thunder Rosa, mm. and to a lesser extent, Hikaru Shida, is a little bit left out in the cold. So I'm going to move Thunder Rosa to Impact and make her the Impact Wrestling Women's World Champion. She could even hop back to N- oh, her, oh. and she could even hop back to NWA again. And I think she'd be mm-hmm, great mm-hmm. as Knockouts Champion. I'd love a feud with her and Diana. Yeah, that would be good. So good. <laughs> and the woman that I would move to Impact is Rosemary. Oh wow! Okay, wow, huh? Because really, on AEW, yes. Rosemary. Because okay, make the case. I one Rosemary is actually a pretty good wrestler when she's in the ring with good talent, and I also think mm-hmm. that there is some room for some of Rosemary's more supernatural things that happen within the undead realm on. In AEW, at the very least on being the elite, they could incorporate that somehow. Also, her old partner, the bunny, is there, and they could always Mm. go back to that as well. So my first one would be Thunder Rosa for Rosemary. Okay, I don't love it, (laughs) but I like it. So what's number two? My number two, and this is just the one of, it's a dude that I just don't care for. I've seen enough of his work to where I'm just fine with kind of sending him to the shadow realm a little bit. He <laughs> He's on that list of wrestlers people like, and I just don't get it. I just don't see it. And I'm going to swap him for a wrestler that I think for the longest time has gone unfairly under the radar. So... I'm moving Ethan Page back to Impact. Oh, no, you're killing his soul. He he burned the bridge because he hated it so much. (laughs) And the swap I am making is Willie Mack in AEW. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Willie Mack, in my opinion, is maybe the most underrated guy in wrestling right now. He is athletic. He can talk. He's worked with a lot of the PWG guys that are in AEW. So he knows that style and he has charisma and personality. I don't know why he's not in a more prominent position in Impact Wrestling for the life of me. I feel like I've said it for like two or three years. Why is Willie Mack not a world champion already? And I feel Mm. like on AEW, Mm. he would blow up up and, and yeah. i would move willie mack to impact uh, to, to Dude, AEW. that yeah that owns like dra- dragon gate willie mack just 
is I, I agree with you that he's such a overlooked guy. He would be incredible. I mean, put him with, uh, I don't know, Kingston, you know, put him with whoever. I think he would he would shine. I, I love I love that idea. I think he could be a very, very like. I mean, I could just see him as TNT champion right away. I could see him as te- I could see him as as the 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 top guy. I mean, I think he's awesome. Um, and so, who did you have going to Impact Ethan Page for Willie Mac? Page, Ethan Page, right? I'm with you. I I don't really I don't see it with Ethan Page either. I wouldn't mind if he left. I I tweeted from our account <laughs> because when he came out to wrestle Sammy. It said that he had a, he had wrestled twenty four matches for AEW this year. It's like, really? <laughs> Who remembers any of these matches? <laughs> like, honestly, uh, the, the Darby stuff was was good, um, but beyond that, I don't know. They've already that's already run its course. I I, I agree with you. I don't really see a long term future for him there. Yeah. So we agreed on Scorpio Sky moving to Impact. Yeah. But for me, this is kind of a 1-1. Uh, as you said, move Scorpio Sky to Impact. Let him be the world champion. And my swap would... Would you reunite the men of the year? No. Since you're moving Ethan Page? No. Would you move Dan Lambert to Impact? Good Lord, no. <laughs> Dan Lambert's going to the Shadow Realm. Uh, <laughs> but the guy that I would switch for Scorpio Sky is a former Impact world champion. And that's Rich Swan. Oh. I feel like as far as impact and Rich Swan goes, I kind of feel like there's really not much left for him there. I feel like he's mm. kind of due to move up. He had a run with the world title. Maybe the feud yeah. with Moose will happen again. But I feel like he was a great X Division champion. He was a great world champion. I just kind of feel like there's nothing left for him to do in Impact, and he's ready for the next level. And he has worked with those guys before in Pro Wrestling Guerrilla. He knows what to do in AEW. He can talk. He's a phenomenal wrestler. Everyone knows how good he is. I feel like it's time for Rich Swan to really show what he can do on a big, big stage. Dragon Gate Rich. I, I really thought that he and Willie Mack were going to take the tag belts from the Good Brothers, but that, you know, they, that did not happen, as, as as you can see. I think the Good Brothers will just go to their grave with those titles. Probably. I think they probably bought them from Scott yeah, Demore. Yeah. They own them now. <laughs> My next choice is a little, a little offbeat, but uh, this is still... Kind of the same part of the card, swapping with one another. And both okay. of these talents do a lot of similar things. I'm taking Johnny Swinger, <laughs> and I'm moving him to AEW. Tell me. For Peter Avalon. <laughs> yes, for Peter Avalon. Oh, Exactly it. right. Yes, it. you did. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. He's such a good... He could just pretend that he was always the leader of the wingman stable and that Peter Avalon, you know what I mean? Like they could just swap him like an actor swap. Can, 
and then pretend it, you know what I mean? Like everyone would act like it, the swap never happened. That Swinger had always been there. <laughs> Can you imagine Johnny Swinger on BTE? <laughs> it would be incredible. Can you imagine Swinger's Palace on AEW Dark? I might watch BTE. Yeah. <laughs> and for for pretty Peter Avalon, just the the antics that he could get into on impact where they they do allow a little bit more wackiness and creative freedom. AEW is a bit less as goofy and, and weird than impact can get at times. And I feel mm-hmm. like Peter Avalon would be a top heel in impact. And I would switch Johnny Swinger for Peter Avalon. I feel like he brought they brought Avalon in like you know before did they sign him like before TV had even started yeah. like right after the press yeah, conference yeah. and it was it was like you know the EVPs I feel like had more sway and everything like that but but now that you know TK has a firm grip of the pencil doesn't feel like there's much uh room for people like Peter Avalon um so yeah I I, I, that could work. I'm into it. And just the thought of Johnny Swinger interacting with somebody like Abaddon. It would rule. It will be so good. The swing man, daddy. I, I mean, just man. do, you know, he had to reference Giant Baba every week. I mean, like, just give him like an interview segment yeah. uh, every week like they do on uh, Impact. It'd right. be great. It, it would just be just ridiculous and silly and wonderful. Uh, for my number five, uh, it won't be silly, but I'm swapping a heavyweight for a heavyweight, and I am taking Miro, moving him to Impact. I considered this. And my trade will be for Moose. Oh, mm, and I would, mm, that's good. And I would pretty much put them both in the same position. I would make... Miro's sort of a dominant heavyweight champion. And I would put Moose as the the TNT champion, sort of in the same spot. I feel like this would be a pretty solid one-for-one exchange. They're both really athletic, Mm -hmm. really strong heavyweights, both really good talkers. I feel like a one-for-one swap of Miro and Moose would work pretty much all across the board. So in your in your impact world, you'd have Scorpio Sky chase Miro and have the blow off main event like a slam anniversary where Scorpio finally wins over Miro. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. And that would own. Thunder Rosa versus <laughs> Diana Perrazzo. Yes. Yes. Fuck it. Do the deals. And uh right now Peter Avalon trying to get a date with to neil dashwood or something <laughs> oh my gosh that would be that'd be glorious that is i would i would enjoy all of this that is i i would say people would be sports entertained all right scott demore call us you're welcome <laughs>
<laughs> and thank you, Greg, for that question. We really had some fun with it. We really had some fun. That was uh, really fun. Send us your questions. Send us your your feedback. Uh at Open Door Rest Pod on Twitter or Open Door Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. Uh so thanks again to Greg. Uh we'll go into Bloodsport a little bit. Doc, you watched Bloodsport. Uh we'll talk a little bit about Pro Wrestling Noah and real quickly, I'm going to have a real quick rant at the end of the show about the eight-man tag from Dynamite and the the discourse over that match. But Doc, I'm going to let you talk about Bloodsport 7. This is my first Bloodsport to watch. Mm. I'd never seen this so for those who don't know, Bloodsport 7 is actually the eighth Bloodsport. Uh, the the first one was done by Matt Riddle and Josh Barnett, but they had a falling out, and well, so Matt, Josh Matt Barnett got decided... Matt got signed. Okay, okay. But I, but there's heat between them now. Um, or is as that far as right? I know, the only reason Matt Riddle is not still doing Bloodsport is that he got signed. That's, that's all okay, I know. Okay, so I could be wrong with that. Well, uh... But for whatever reason, Barnett decided that it would not count in the numbering. And Josh Barnett's blood sport one through seven have since occurred. And I think every wrestling fan should watch a blood sport. Uh, just like I think every wrestling fan should watch a Lucha Underground to and a DDT to to kind of broaden their sense of what pro wrestling could be and to like contrast it with the kind of mainstream offerings that they usually watch because blood sport is for, for, you know, again, if you, if you don't know, if you've never seen it, it's like, um, it's, it's a lot like rings or UWFI in, in some ways where the, they try to work a more quote unquote legit style, like a more mixed martial arts strike heavy, uh, submissions mean death kind of style. There's no ropes. So they're just on the platform of the ring. Um, fans are right up next to the ring. Cool atmosphere, cool concept uh really really dig this i'm gonna watch all the blood sports going forward because this one was a real breezy watch but there's just a couple of um comments i want to make about it um i think the three matches to watch on the the current blood sport the newest one if you haven't uh got time to watch the whole thing are uh alex Coglin versus tom lawler um yuya uemura's match uh who did he wrestle Shoot, uh, Davey Richards, uh, that one, and then the main event, uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Chris Dickinson, the aforementioned. Um, so Coglin versus Lawler was awesome, and I think it sort of, if you watch this match, you'll understand why I think one of the most important things and underratedly important things in wrestling is restraint because. Bloodsport, again, the style is very minimal, very strike heavy. There's no ropes to bounce off of, no top rope moves, no flips, not a lot of aerial stuff, not a lot of uh, slam after slam after slam, no three amigos, you know what I mean? Like a German suplex usually puts a guy down and then there's an arm bar applied and they tap immediately because these are sort of more shoot style fights, but still worked. Um, and you have this moment in the Coughlin, uh, Lawler match, which the, the new Japan strong offer match. Apparently there was a ton of new Japan strong guys that worked this show. Um, 
Lawler has the filthy one has an arm bar on Coglin, uh, a uh, um, what is it called? Not a manji gatame, a juji katami. Uh, that hold is applied, and you think, okay, Coglin's tapping because people don't get out of this hold, but Coglin rolls backwards, uh, where he's on his hands and knees, stands up. Lawler still attached to his arm lifts the body of Tom Lawler only by his arm, uh, Coglin's arm that, that Lawler's attached to and his face veins are just popping and he's straining so hard to lift Lawler up. And he like, you know, slams him backward in a, in a suplex and the crowd goes bananas in a way that if you did that at a normal wrestling show, you'd get a clap, you know, be fine. But like, this kind of thing doesn't happen in this venue. So it feels special because it doesn't happen all the time. And it's a very ordinary kind of wrestling spot, but the way that they did it and where they did it just got this huge reaction and made it feel like this really special moment. And I just love stuff like that. I think the less you do everything in wrestling, the more special everything feels when it's done. The few times that it's done also during this match, Tom Waller dressed up like Alex Coughlin and it was hilarious. <laughs> he grew a mustache like Alex Coughlin, wore the Coughlin tights, did his little poses. It's great. Really funny. Um, which Yuya Uemura had a great... Even in Bloodsport, you can have a little... <laughs> you can have a little bit of a Halloween dress up. It's okay. Yes. It's okay. You can. Uh, it works for the filthy one, I'll tell you. Someone needs to sign that boy. Uh, he's out of his MLW contract now. Um, so, uh, yeah, Uemura versus Davey Richards was, was also really fun. Like Uemura was over, like nobody's visit. They loved him. Like some people have written this, uh, written about this match and said, oh, the crowd did not like Davey Richards. And that sort of could be part of it, but it wasn't just boo Davey. It was yay. Yuya. Like they were in love with this boy and he looked great. I don't think he totally understood the style either because my man was throwing drop kicks <laughs> and jumped out of the ring at, at Davey, <laughs> which was incredible. The only time that uh, an aerial move was used the entire show is like he flew out of the ring onto the floor <laughs> at Davey Richards. Uh, but he looks great. I'm telling um, you, man, he, and he's the pro- one. Proving you right. He's the one. Yeah. To- and it's cool that he's getting booked everywhere. Like that's when these kids go on excursion, it's no guarantee that, you know, I, I think I've heard that like evil didn't really get booked anywhere. He did a little bit um, in Texas and was in ring of honor for a little bit, but I'll tell you the only guys that I remember getting booked as much as Uemura were Naito and Nakamura. Yeah. And I mean, I have yeah. said ad nauseum. I truly think Yuya Uemura is the one. And <laughs> everything so far is just it's just furthering my belief in it. What's well, going to be a snowball? It's he's only going to be helped by the fact that so much wrestling is on tape uh, as opposed to, you know, years ago when these other guys um and it was less accessible immediately whereas like you go watch Bloodsport on Fight right away and see Yuya beloved oh man, these, these people love you. How do we get them in Chicago? How do we get them in Texas? How do we get them in Seattle? Um, 
You know what I mean? I think that's all it's, he's going to be booked in a lot of places. Um, and he's on new Japan strong every week. Uh, the main event was incredible for blood sport. Uh, Minoru Suzuki versus, uh, Chris Dickinson. Dickinson like, must've been having the time of his life. God, he really was. It was such an aura match. Do you know what song he came out to? I do not. Did he come out to Kaze Ninare? Oh no. So Suzuki oh, yeah. did. Definitely. I was thinking my well, what about, do, do you know? Oh no. <laughs> that, that would have been great. No. Are you familiar with Victory by Puff Daddy? Oh, yeah. Like that super epic, uh, the, you know, Led what, Zeppelin, Sun Don't Shine Led Forever. Zeppelin sample? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think... No, no, oh, okay, not. okay. This one yeah, is yeah, more yeah, like yeah, trumpets. I, I, know what, I know what song you're the, talking the, about. The one with the, the opera singer. Yeah, this the is... Opera singer. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Hug Me Baby, I'm Gonna Make You Love Me Baby, yeah. this one. And uh, Dickinson comes out to that, and it just feels so freaking, like like such a moment and he's just like his eyes are like balloons just dinner plate just wide-eyed and like taking in everything and people are and he waits for the beat to drop to come out and people are going crazy and like you know suzuki gets a lot of love but dirty daddy got some love from the crowd and uh and you know he he um man both of those guys like it just felt so special and the match was really fun it was really good it wasn't like the match of the night but like you were sports entertained by everything that went on during that match. And it was a, the perfect main event, um, really good way for Suzuki to, uh, wrap up his American tour. I think he's doing some impact stuff or maybe that's already been been taped, taped. but I think I've heard his tour is winding. Uh, He has gone back to Japan. The the impact stuff was taped. Okay. So it is official. The Minoru Suzuki fall residency has concluded. America has been done by Suzuki. It was great. We should it should be an annual tradition. I but this yeah. was a perfect style for him. Blood Bloodsport. It worked great. Uh, one more thing to wrap up on Bloodsport going into 2022, real quickly. Brian Danielson's gonna do a Bloodsport show, right? Oh my God, he has yeah. to. That that's gonna be so good. To. <laughs> that's gonna. Um. All right. Let's oh, let's man. wrap up quickly uh, with these last two stories. Pro wrestling Noah. Okay. The Brand new GHC national champion, the ageless wonder, Masaki Mochizuki. God, yes, this is so good. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is a great match. He won it from uh, Sugera, Takashi Sugera, uh, the killing machine, who was in the middle of his second reign. I believe this was his third defense, I want to say. Um, or maybe maybe this fourth, but either way. Not a, a super long way, a reign for Sugera here, but uh, I was surprised that Mochi won it. Um, and the match itself, so have you seen the I match? I have not. Okay. So the, the match to me, one of the things I loved about it was I think it illustrated, uh, it, it, the story of it felt like uniquely like a soccer match to me. And not just because there was a lot of kicking. <laughs> um. It was because of in soccer, unlike a lot of the major American sports, the how do I say this? There's a concept of dessert, like like who deserves to win versus who actually wins. And they're not always the same Whereas in basketball, American football, baseball. Playing well is scoring and scoring is winning. Usually the team 99 times out of 100, if you play better, you score more and you win. 
That's just how it goes. In soccer, it's incredibly hard to score any goal, and you could have a world-class team play amazingly against an amateur side and draw or lose uh, because that's just how the game is. Sometimes the most deserving team, the team that plays best, uh, is not the winner. And Sugera beat the shit out of Masaki Mochizuki in this match. It felt like he was in control for about 70% of it. And I mean, he's just raining down upon him until the very end. You know, Mochi survived. I mean, and, and it was to his credit that he survived all that punishment, got some kicks in, uh, took advantage of those kicks, got the quick pin and won. And it was great. I love a story like that. Just sneaking one in on someone who maybe they were better than you that day, but an opportunity presented itself and you took it. Um, I love that. Love that story for the match. I love that Mochizuki, like if you watch after the match, like he takes this title very seriously. He's hugging it. He's got tears in his eyes. He's screaming, pumping his fist collapsing to the mat with it like it seems like it really means something and, to him and that's what you do and, when you win a title that's what you're supposed to do yes. when you win the championship in any sport it's supposed to be important it's supposed to feel like you accomplished something big i know and he i mean but it's not always done that way or it's overdone you know what i mean sometimes you could just play it up too much um but but I thought this was just right. And then my man came out during the celebration. Cano laid Kendall. down the gauntlet. Uh, yes, he's going to be the first challenger to Mochi here. And he was like, hey, that match was really good, but you're super old. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are both really old. And my generation is like, being unfairly passed over and I'm going to show you that we are better and superior. And it was really fun and fun and great exchange between those two. Um, this won't be the first time they've wrestled, but it should be really good. I'm super excited about, they're going to kick each other to death and it'll be great. Uh, and moving on quickly, uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima, the new GHC heavyweight champion had a quick little 10 minute interview piece with, the famed David LaGreca of Busted Open Radio. And I felt like this just had to be noted because here is the GHC heavyweight champion getting FaceTime in America. We haven't seen that in a long, long time. Not since Kenta and Marafuji were the top stars in Noah years ago. Mm. And Nakajima is... For all intents and purposes, a Noah oldhead. For all intents and purposes, Nakajima is sort of part of the second or third generation of Noah. And he is great. And he does speak English. He tweets in English. And he knows that Noah has an international audience. So it's really cool of him to promote his championship defense against Masato Tanaka. And, you know, it's cool to see Noah getting a little FaceTime, especially right now with New Japan being a kind of a tailspin. 
a good opportunity for them. I can't wait to watch that match when we finish this. I haven't seen the match. Yeah, yet. I'm, I'm sure it's great. I, I'll watch that. Uh, I love Tanaka as well. He's he's double tough. Uh, also, uh, he's never lost to Nakajima. Oh, okay, there you go. All right, wrapping up really quickly, Doc, and we'll get out of here. Uh, AW Dynamite had a Halloween special along with the trick-or-treat match between Britt Baker and Abaddon. Uh, Dynamite had the eight-man tag team main event between the Dark Order and the Elite. And both teams were celebrating Halloween and they dressed up in costumes. I absolutely loved every second of this match. I thought it was a glorious pro wrestling spectacle with Halloween costumes, callbacks to storylines, some great athletic action, John Silver getting a big win and a pin, the elite being obnoxious, Kenny Omega not trusting Adam Cole completely, Excalibur with the wrestling call of his life, a massive pop from (laughs) the crowd for Adam Page, Brandon Cutler and, and everything. This just everything about this, in my opinion, was just mwah, wonderful pro wrestling. Of course, some people didn't enjoy it. And Doc, I'll ask you quickly: How did you feel about this main event? I mean, I was I was fine with it. You know, did I did I love it as much as you did? I did not, but. I did laugh, you know, I, I, I was, (laughs) was really mainly laughing at like picturing the look on uh, JR's face, (laughs) like, and uh, when things were happening, I I think I tweeted out like when, when Cutler ran to the ring (laughs) dressed as a horse for the run in, I was like, part of JR's soul just died. (laughs) He was especially pissed off when the elite used their (laughs) proton packs. Because they were dressed as the Ghostbusters. <laughs> he, hated he hated it. He absolutely hated it. Ooh. And both Tony but Tony, like, and Sha- but- Tony Schiavone and Excalibur are just like, well, they're using their proton packs because they're dressed as the Ghostbusters. Because of course they are. And JR was just yes. like, oh my God, what the hell are we doing? What are we doing here? This is not pay windows. Um, but I think that we have, you know, we're we're in year three now of AEW, right? And they have established some of their patterns. Um, They are going to do a stadium stampede every uh, year where they're going to do a big cinematic hoo-ha. And they're just going to do it. And it's going to be a big eight-man thing with a lot of uh, silly stuff in it. Going to have Adam Page riding in on a horse or whatever. Uh, And they're going to do a Halloween thing where people dress up as Street Fighter characters or the Ghostbusters or whatever, uh, Undertale characters. They're just going to do it and you can uh, learn to live with it or you can die mad basically. I mean, this is just one of the things they're going to do and it's in their blood uh, because the bucks and Omega, this is just part of who they are. And I think it's fine. I mean, it's the dark order. Um, It's not like, uh, it's not like John Moxley and this with, uh, yes, exactly. Or the pinnacle or something. Um, and I, I think it's fine. You know, I, would I have, if you ask me, would I prefer a straight match between these eight guys? I would. And I think you could do everything that you did in a straight match that you did with them. 
but I didn't hate it. I don't know how anyone could hate it. This is just, you know, who they are. And next week, it's just going to, it's just going to go back to, to normal. You know, this is just a theme thing that they do. And it's like, you know, whatever. It's fun. Kids like it. My kids loved it. They thought it was great. And anything that gets, you know, young kids uh, in on pro wrestling. I mean, I think wrestling companies should take it seriously <laughs> so that they don't, they don't die when uh, their older fans do. Right. And even us older fans, we can learn to lighten up a little bit when it comes to pro wrestling. It doesn't always have to be a deathly serious sport. And they treated this match with the utmost sincerity. Everybody in this match was trying to win. They were. And that's what you do. You're trying to win. Even if it is Halloween in your costumes, you try and win. So... I loved it. I was sports entertained. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you loved it. So thank you all for listening to the Open Door Wrestling Podcast. Doc, you're more than welcome to take it home. Well, folks, uh, I am The Subtle Doctor. You can find me on Twitter at The Subtle Doctor. DJM, if folks want to get a hold of you on Twitter, how might they do so? You can do so on the Twitter twatter at CallMeDJM. Just at CallMeDJM. And, of course, you could uh, tweet the show. You are more than encouraged to do that. Let us know if you like the show, dislike the show, want more or less of something. If you have questions you want us to answer or more trading segments, because that was really fun, uh, at OpenDoorResPod. Open door, W R E S pod on Twitter or Gmail. Uh, hit us up. Let us know uh, what you think. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, it's uh, YouTube, wherever you uh, listen to us. Give us uh, the thumbs up, the subscription, the rating, the review. Uh, and as the great Bomani Jones says, if you give us less than five stars, we're inclined to believe you are a hater. I, I do. And to be fair, Doc, I do have some haters. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Well, listen, haters, you just keep your four star reviews to yourself. You just click the thumbs up. You just subscribe. And then that's do it what for you do. Doc. You, you guys, he's you, great. Fifth star for me. Thank you. Um, Yeah. That's it for the episode. DJM, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I, I have. I certainly have. Thank you all for listening, everybody. And until next time, Doc, say your thing. Peace. <laughs>